Good morning, church family. As always, it is, it is an honor to be opening God's Word with you, especially as we venture into week three of our study on the whole armor of God. Now, we have big news today. No longer are we in verse 14, but today we will be in verse 15, looking at gospel shoes or the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And yes, you did hear that right. If this is your first time joining us this morning, we have been in verse 14 for the past two weeks. As it was in verse 14 where we initially focused on the belt of truth or the objective, absolute, world-altering truth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ and concluded that if we are going to stand firm in the Lord and avoid falling for the falsehoods of the devil then we must read and meditate and preach to ourselves daily the gospel as revealed in the truth of God's word. And then last week we broached the subject of the breastplate of righteousness or our practical righteousness, meaning that as new creations in Christ who desire to live a life according to our new identity in Christ, by practicing or displaying the righteousness of Christ, we actually then, in doing so, protect ourselves from the evil schemes of the devil by not giving him an opportunity to gain a foothold in our lives. In short, godly living or our practical righteousness, it steers us away from the evil entrapments of the devil. Which takes us to the third, or third piece of armor that we as Christians are to put on. And it revolves around our footwear, or what we are to strap onto our feet, which is the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that in the world in which we live, shoes, they are important, especially if the terrain is treacherous. If you want to walk the sand dunes of a desert, then you better have on the right trekking boots. If you want to scale a mountain, then you better have on the right climbing shoes. And if you want to enjoy a good book on a rainy day, then you better have on the right slippers. We're talking about treacherous terrains. Well, you get the point. Our shoes, they are important. And if we are going to stand against the evil schemes of the devil then we better have on the right footwear. The footwear in which God has instructed us to fasten on to our feet. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the overarching themes of the sermon this morning. Our thesis statement this morning is this, that the attacks from our adversary, they will come, Christian, Thus, prepare yourself with true peace found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, our thesis statement this morning, the attacks from our adversary, they will come, Christian. Thus, prepare yourself with true peace found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. The Apostle Paul wrote, And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we praise you this morning as the God of the universe, the God who knows all things, who created all things, who sustains all things, and continues to empower his children through all things. Fathers, we will learn this morning, and as we already know, the trials, they will come. The hardships in our life, they will come. And yet through it all, Father, you have provided us with the means to remain at peace. Because we are at peace with you, God. No longer your enemies, but we are now your friends. Greater love has no one than this, than one that laid down his life for his friends. And because of that, Father, because we are at peace with you now, tomorrow, and forevermore, whatever comes our way on this earth in the here and now, we can be at peace. Because 10,000 years from now, we know exactly where we will be in the presence and of the peace of our eternal God. Father, I know that everyone here is going through something, and I pray that you open our eyes our ears, and soften our hearts to your word this morning. Father, I pray that you help my lisping, stammering tongue. I pray that I speak truth this morning, the truth that you have given us. I do so in a bold and convicted and humble manner, and that you work wonders within this dear congregation. I pray that the text this morning edifies this dear flock, and above all else, glorifies you, God. Do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, be ready, Christian, for the attacks from the adversary, for the trials they will come. Be ready, Christian, for the attacks from the adversary, for the trials they will come. And again, our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now make no mistake, church, this concept of being ready in the gospel of peace for whatever attacks, whatever evil, whatever pain, whatever hurt, whatever depression, strife, sickness, disease, or death that may come your way, it is critical for us as Christians to grasp. Because we live in a country where many believe that when you become a Christian, your earthly problems, they will all go away. Or that when you become a Christian, you won't get sick anymore. Or that when you become a Christian, earthly health and wealth and happiness is all that you will ever receive. And those thoughts and beliefs, they aren't shocking. Because this is what is being broadcasted to millions of Americans each week from televangelists. Quotes like these. This was said in 1990. When you say I am a Christian, you are saying I am a little Messiah walking on earth. In other words, you are a little God on earth running around. This was said in 2003. If you stay in your faith, you are going to get paid. And this was said in 2014. God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not really doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. And church, these are lies. They're traps. They're deceptions being used by the adversary in this spiritual battle in an attempt to mislead you. 
and to entrap you and ultimately to try to destroy you. But as Christians who gird on the belt of truth, we know that these aforementioned quotes are in direct contradiction to the very word of God. Scripture is clear that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3. And do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 1 Peter 4. And do not be surprised, brother, when the world hates you, 1 John 3. You see, that is the Christian reality. A life in the here and now of persecution, fiery trials, and the world hating you, not being a little God, not getting paid because of your faith, and not a life of only happiness because God only wants you to be happy. Thus, how can we as Christians withstand this persecution? How can we stand strong in the midst of trials? How can we maintain peace when the world hates us? And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, has the answer. It says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Or I love the NASB's translation of it, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod meaning to equip your feet. Now where does Paul get this idea from or get this language from? To shod one's feet or to equip one's feet with the gospel of peace. Well, similar to the past two weeks, Paul likely has a Roman foot soldier's armor in mind here. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, the armor that he would specifically have in mind here would be a Roman foot soldier's heavy-duty sandals. As the Roman foot soldier's sandals were made with thick pieces of leather, which could be tied then to their shins in order to keep everything in place and nice and tight. And at the bottom of these sandals were little metal studs, similar to that of cleats today. And these metal studs allowed the Roman soldier to dig their shoes into the ground and maintain their footing when they were engaged in hand-to-hand combat. But Paul not only has the armor of a Roman foot soldier in mind here, he also likely has the Old Testament in mind here, particularly that of Isaiah 52.7, which reads... How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, and who says, Zion, your God reigns. And as Ian Dungrid explains here, Isaiah presents the image of a watchman bursting into joyful song on the walls of Jerusalem. These watchmen, who had long strained their eyes with fearful anticipation of an approaching enemy army, now become the herald, declaring the good news of deliverance to the citizens of Zion. Thus, these gospel sandals are yet another piece of the armor of God that Jesus wore first. As Jesus came into the world, not merely as the herald of the good news of salvation, but also as its accomplisher. You see, church, again, it was Jesus Christ who wore these gospel shoes first when he came into the world heralding that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It was Christ who came into the world heralding that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And it was Christ who came into the world heralding that I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be 
be saved. Thus, verse 15 says we have to put on that readiness of the gospel of peace. Why? Because persecution, fiery trials, and hatred, they are all coming, Christian. I mean, look around. Anti-Christian stances from the government. They are here and more are coming our way. Disgust and hatred over our Christian beliefs. It's here and it's happening. The call to strip Christian nonprofits of their benefits. The cries, they are only growing louder and louder, church. And I promise you, I am not up here trying to scare you this morning. I am not up here trying to preach doom and gloom. I am not up here trying to promote any conspiracy theories. I am up here to let you know that we as Christians are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Verse, a strong and cunning and deceptive enemy who wants to take you out. And your medal of honor here on earth your reward from this world, if you will, for being a soldier who stands in Christ. J.C. Ryle put it this way, laughter, ridicule, opposition, and persecution are often the only rewards in which Christ followers get from the world. Church, Jesus Christ said these words. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Please note here, church, That just because the wise man built his house on the rock, a.k.a. he believed in and followed the word of God, that did not keep the rain from falling on him, or the floods from rising on him, or the winds from beating on his house. The text does not say that the wise man built his house on the rock and the rest of his life was like a perfect day at the beach. No rain, no storms, no wind, just beautiful sunshine and not a care in the world. No, he built his house on the rock just as a Christian builds their lives on Christ and the rain still came, the flood water still came and the winds blowing and beating on his house, it all still came. Christian, a confession of Christ will not extinguish the potential hardships in this world. If anything, it inflames them. Thus, because of that, we must take every single precaution necessary to prepare ourselves for those impending hardships so that we as Christians can be faithful in Christ until the very end. Moody Monthly shared this story about the pre-Reformation reformer John Huss, or as his native countrymen would have called him, Jan Hus. The story reads that when Huss was arrested and informed that he would be burned to death for his faith, he purposefully practiced holding his hand over the fire to prepare for his final test, as he desired to not even blink in the face of persecution and be faithful unto the Lord until the very end. Thus the question is, church, are we doing everything possible to prepare ourselves daily so that we can remain faithful unto the Lord in the midst of hardship and the evil schemes of the devil until the very end? 
Or are we cozying up by the fire, filled with too much wine, nodding off to sleep as our enemy is charging at us with weapons blazing? As William Barclay noted, to be a Christian does not mean that we are not a people who plan. We must remember the Revolutionary War saying, trust in God, but keep your powder dry. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, you're charged this morning in light of the depraved forces surrounding us and the devil prowling around seeking to devour us is to be watchful, prepare yourselves, and be ready for the hardships, the trials, and the hatred from this evil age that will come your way so that you can remain faithful unto the Lord until the very end. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, okay, Wes, I get it. For the Christian, we must be prepared. We must be ready for the storms, for they are a coming, but how? I mean, really, how can we as Christians really be prepared for all of these hardships that we are going to face in this world? I mean, really, how can a 17-year-old boy really be prepared to find out that their mother has breast cancer? Or how can anyone really be prepared to comfort that same mother some 18 months later when her mom dies of a massive stroke? Or how can anyone really be prepared to find out that their first child might have a heart condition? and if so, he likely won't survive past the first week of his life? Or how can anyone really be prepared to have their father airlifted to Philadelphia with carbon monoxide poisoning, and it be their job to drive their weeping mother and sister back and forth while not showing an ounce of emotion because they are the ones who are to have unsinkable and unshakable faith in the family? I mean, really, Pastor, how can anyone really be prepared to face these hardships and trials and pain on this earth. Which brings us to point number two. That true, foundational, eternal peace is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. True, foundational, eternal peace, it is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word peace, it is defined by Webster as a state of tranquility or a freedom from oppressive thoughts or emotions or harmony in personal relationships. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary defines peace as to be complete or to be sound. And honestly, who doesn't want that right now? To be complete or sound in mind, free of oppressive thoughts and possessing a state of tranquility? That sounds pretty nice. I read a study in preparation for the sermon from the Barna Group concerning anxiety during the coronavirus pandemic. And the study found that 40% of American young adults are currently experiencing anxiety about important decisions. Another 40% of American young adults are currently experiencing anxiety about the uncertainty of the future. Another 40% are currently experiencing fear of failure. And finally, another 36% are currently experiencing pressure to be successful. Now, obviously, there is overlap in those numbers. But overall, we live in a world and during a time where peace is not the norm. So then, Christian, being that we live in a world where peace is not the norm... 
how then are we preparing ourselves or readying our hearts to stand in the Lord when trials do come? Are we preparing ourselves like the rest of the world by reading self-help books, studying new age trends, seeking out the latest healing or meditation techniques, listening to our favorite celebrity therapist or the newest spiritual advisor on the Oprah show? Is that how we are preparing ourselves for these upcoming trials and hardships with what the secular world is offering us? Because if that is the case this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, searching secular thought and teachings for true, eternal, foundational peace, this is where it will lead you. Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For to set the mind on the flesh, it is death. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die church, a peace that surpasses all understanding is not going to be found naturally within you. You see, if an unbeliever digs deep into their consciousness, deep into their unregenerate spirit, you know what they are going to find? It is not peace. Instead, they will find a heart more deceitful than all else and desperately sick, Jeremiah 17. Stubbornness and rebellion, Jeremiah 5. Guilt, Hosea 10. Rage against the Lord, Proverbs 19. Hostility against the Lord, Romans 8. Thus, where is the only place we can find peace? True, eternal, foundational, world-altering, groundbreaking, able to stand no matter what trials the world throws at you kind of peace? It is in the gospel of peace. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which takes us to our next question. How then, applicably, do we put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace? Or what, is, what exactly does it look like to shod one's feet or to fasten one's feet with the readiness given by the gospel of peace so that we can stand in the Lord when these trials do come? That is the question. Now, being that there is a connection here between Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, and Isaiah 52, as previously mentioned, some commentators believe that what Paul has in mind here is that Christians must always be ready to go out and preach the gospel of peace to all people in all lands and throughout the world. And although I do wholeheartedly affirm and believe that Christians must always be ready to go out and preach the gospel throughout the entire world, I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. Mainly because, remember, big picture church, Paul is describing how we as Christians can stand against the evil schemes of the devil, verse 11, or withstand in the evil day, verse 13, or stand therefore, verse 14, all of which are defensive positions, not offensive or not advancing positions. Thus, I think what Paul has in mind here in terms of being ready in the gospel of peace, it is the impact or the result or the effect that the gospel of peace has on a Christian's mind when trials do come, or when a Christ, it has on a Christian's demeanor when trials come, or a Christian's mentality when trials come blowing up against them. As Harold Honer put it, Believers are ready and prepared to stand against the onslaughts of the evil forces because they are firmly grounded in the gospel of peace. 
You see, it is the believer's sure-footedness in the gospel of peace that produces tranquility of mind and security of heart, which gives the believer readiness to stand against the devil. You see, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we begin to more consistently preach the gospel to ourselves daily and comprehend the depth of God's love for us as his children and fathom more and more the extent of our sin and the separation that existed between us and God and then grasp the accomplishment of Jesus Christ in which he reconciled man back to God through his work on the cross, the gospel then, it just naturally becomes our source of readiness and preparedness to take on whatever the world and Satan and his evil minions has to throw our way. Because we know that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And church, consider the ramifications of that statement for a second. We have peace with God. We are no longer his enemies. Instead, we have peace with God through eternity. Everlasting, imperishable, infinite, ageless, endless peace with our God. And because of this eternal peace with our God, we can consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us, Romans 8. And we know that this light and momentary affliction, it is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison, 2 Corinthians 4, and that after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore us, secure us, strengthen us, and establish us, 1 Peter 5. That is how our suffering ends, brother Christian, sister Christian. After we suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, secure, strengthen, and establish us. Thus take heed this morning, church, because our heavenly father, he is not AWOL, he is not missing, he is not an absent father. No, he is our perfect and heavenly father who chose us in him before the foundation of the world, who in love predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Christ, and then who in Christ redeemed us and forgave us, and according to the riches of his grace we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Thus be at peace in the perfect and sovereign work of our heavenly Father, church, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. William Tidwell shared this story. He said that during the French War, a train carrying soldiers to the headquarters was compelled to go over 60 miles of very rough track and reach its destination within one hour. The engineer was the bearer of the soldiers and his wife and daughter who were riding in coach. Every moment threatened to pitch the train over an embankment or over a bridge. And as it rolled from side to side, leaping at times almost into the air, rushing past stations, many of the soldiers held their breath and often cried out with terror as they sped along. There was one on the train, though, who knew nothing of their fears, and that was the daughter of the engineer. Happy as a bird, she laughed aloud when asked if she was afraid and looked up and answered, why, my father is at the engine. A little later, the engineer came into the car to cheer up his wife, and he wiped the great drops of sweat from his brow. 
as his daughter leapt into his arms and laid her head upon his bosom, as happy and as peaceful as when she was at home. What a lesson for the children of the Heavenly Father. Church, if our feet are shod with or have fastened to them the readiness given by the gospel of peace, if the foundation in which we stand is the fact that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, then we as God's children can walk through whatever trial, whatever heartache, and whatever pain the adversary may throw our way. Because we know that our God, Ephesians 2, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And church, that is how the story ends ends, we will be raised with Christ, seated with Christ, all via the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Thus, no matter the pain, no matter the depression, no matter the anxiety or hurt you are experiencing in the here and now, brother Christian, sister Christian, raised with Christ, that is how your story will end. Thus, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, knowing that our Savior Jesus Christ accomplished eternal peace for you, Christian, by the blood of his cross. Thus, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for the gospel of peace. Now, as we close this morning, I'll begin first by addressing the non-Christian who is here. Non-Christian, I think we can both agree on this point, that everyone desires peace complete or soundness of mind, being free of oppressive thoughts or emotions, possessing a state of tranquility. I mean, that sounds wonderful, especially now, to be at peace even in the midst of the coronavirus, even in the midst of the social unrest, even in the midst of this hostile political climate. Who wouldn't want that? And honestly, it seems like almost everyone does. Don't believe me? American self-help books, for example, have been climbing in sales at a rate of over 11% per year since 2012, as nearly 20 million were sold in 2019 alone. We as a country desire peace, and we are looking into every possible avenue to find it. But here's the thing, non-Christian, it doesn't matter how many self-help books you read. It doesn't matter how many healing techniques you try. It doesn't matter how many spiritual advisors you follow on Twitter. Peace, peace. There is no peace until you are at peace with your creator. And non-Christian lovingly, I want to share with you, if you want to be of the world, if you want to love the world, if you want to be a friend of the world, then naturally you are an enemy of God, James 4 not at peace with God. You are an enemy of God, and there is no peace for the enemy of God. Not now, not tomorrow, and not ever. But non-Christian, here is the good news this morning. The kind of news that can bring you peace now and tomorrow and forever. And as is only fitting, it is the gospel of peace. 
that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came into the world and reconciled sinful man back to God so that we as the children of God can be at peace with God through eternity. And how did Christ do this? Christ, he came into the world as truly God and truly man. And he kept the law for us, the law that we as sinners break over and over and over again. Jesus Christ, he kept it. But Jesus Christ, he not only kept the law perfectly for us, he also paid the price for our breaking of the law, meaning he bore upon himself the wrath of God that we as sinners deserve for our sin. And how did he do that? Jesus Christ, he was crucified on a cross, and he died for the sins of his children. But here, here is the world-changing, the peace-giving, the eternal truth that you need to hear this morning, non-Christian. Being that Jesus Christ is God, and being that Jesus Christ is sinless and never sinned and never broke the law once, sin and death, it had no claim over him. Thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death eternally for those who believe. Thus, how is it possible, non-Christian, for you to be at peace now, tomorrow, and forevermore by being at peace with your creator God, by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, the only one who can cleanse you of your sin and clothe you in his perfect righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and you will be at peace with your creator God now, tomorrow, and forevermore. Let today be the day, non-Christian. And to the Christian who is here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I realize that many of you may be sitting there this morning thinking, yes, Wes, praise God, I have been reconciled back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and no longer am I his enemy, but now I am his friend. I have peace with God through eternity, and yes, I praise God for that but I still don't feel real peaceful in my life. Like, I still struggle with anxiety. I worry about the bills. I worry about my children and their decisions. I worry about my aging parents. I worry about my work. I worry about this, that, and the other. Thus, why don't I experience the harmony that should come with being at peace with God through eternity? And what should I do? And I've gotten this question a lot in counseling. How do I get rid of my anxiety? Or how do I rid myself of worry? And don't get me wrong, those are legitimate questions. As worry and anxiety, they are not fun. And because they are not fun, Christians and non-Christians alike spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money on trying to figure out ways to rid themselves of them. But the comment I usually make when speaking with a Christian struggling with anxiety or worry or the like is this, that instead of putting all of your energy and figuring out or trying to figure out how to rid yourself of this anxiety or worry, 
Let's instead try to figure out how you can rest in, rely on, and stand in the peace of the gospel more consistently. And church, when you feel worry, when you feel anxiety or depression or grief, honestly, just look outside. Just look outside and consider Jesus' words from his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Or consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Church, the number one priority in our life, it is not trying to rid ourselves of anxiety. It is not trying to get rid of our worry. It is not trying to have everything so perfectly in place that we will never stress again. Our first priority in this life, Christian, is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does this have to do with worry and the gospel of peace? As John MacArthur put it, the cause of worry is seeking the things of the world, and the cause of contentment, the cause of peace, is seeking the things of God's kingdom and his righteousness. Church, you want to know how to ready yourself for the trials that this world has to throw at you? Simply seek the kingdom of God first. Seek the things of God first. Seek the will of God first. Seek the word of God first. And seek the righteousness of God first. And the peace of Christ, it will rule over your hearts. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body stand firm on the foundation of the gospel of peace. Lord, as your servants, you warned us that in this world we will face persecution, we will face hatred, we will face trials and fiery arrows, they will be shot at us. Therefore, Lord, help us to shod our feet in the readiness given by the gospel of peace and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Lord, you are not an absent father. You are here with us, strengthening us and filling us with the grace needed to stand firm in you, even in the midst of all the trials that we face. Thus, I pray that we as a church body, that we do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we bring our requests before God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Let our conviction and faith in the gospel of peace be strengthened every day, Lord, until the day our faith becomes sight, and oh, what a wonderful and peaceful day that will be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us for seeking after the things of the world. Is it any wonder why there is anxiety, there is worry, there is depression, there is fear all over us? Lord, we worry about this 70, 80 years that we're here on this earth when we have eternity in our grasp with you through Jesus Christ. 
Father, let that cover our minds. Let it clothe our heart. Let it be shod to our feet. Lord, whether it is cancer, whether it is dementia, whether it is a fear of paying the bills, whatever it is, 10,000 years from now, we will be with you in glory. Thus, help us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness in the here and now. And let the peace of Jesus Christ just rule over our hearts. Bring us that peace this morning, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.